0: Hello, everyone listening in. This is The Underheard Word, where we highlight articles that may not make the biggest headlines, but they will make you think. My name is Jeff. And my name
1: is Amy, and we are your hosts. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media accounts and subscribe to our channel so you never miss an update. And we're also available on most every platform you would access to get your podcasts. So let's start today's podcast with Intel's $20 billion bet on Ohio. So on Friday, Intel announced it would build the largest silicon manufacturing location on the planet here in the United States on a thousand acre plot of land in New Albany, Ohio. This was very welcome news to a lot of political figures, including President Biden, Ohio Governor Mike DeWayne, and U.S. Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo. They offered or suggested that This would possibly solve a variety of issues in the area um, and in the U.S. in general, including global competitiveness, national security, the chip shortage, high price of cars, gaps in STEM employment, and even inflation itself. So it's uh, it's, uh, quite a bit of problems that this one plant is promising to solve. What, What kind of makes me question it, though, is that is Intel really ready to take on all these problems given their recent, let's just say, uh, losing bets that they've had themselves on uh, in terms of their delay, in terms of their employment change. They, you know, at one point they were the king of the chip making oh, yeah, world, were. you know, just between delay in their uh, nodes, in their rebrandings, in their change of uh, CEOs and their change of like their, some of their key engineer developers they've been through a lot of hell the last couple years and they're still, they're trying to get back on track. And while this, this uh, plant will probably help with that, it's definitely a good side for them. Is it, is it too soon? Maybe because they went, went through this all happened within the last couple of years. They just kind of tanked. I think, I think the biggest blow to them was when Apple decided to you know, in light of all of the delay of their chips. So Intel made a lot of the chips for the Apple Mac computers. In this delay, Apple basically said, you know what, we'll just make our own. And that was a huge blow to Intel. Okay. A little bit of the nail in the coffin a bit for them, even though they didn't quite die out. But I think this is kind of their, uh, this plant in Ohio is trying to be their saving grace. Now, um, again, is this too late? for somebody like intel do you think it's wise for a government to spend how much billions of dollars on this plant for a company that you know especially recently hasn't exactly proven itself to be favorable in its own in, in what's supposed to be its key market its key manufacturing the intel makes chips but they haven't exactly been forthcoming in you know their their promises with when these chips are going to be released in their management in their internal management skills. I mean, when you lose somebody like your key engineers and I, I think it was it the CEO changed too. I, I
0: think, think so. We, but, yeah. uh,
1: it's, it's kind of, it kind of makes you think as to like, what exactly is this money going to be going into?
0: Yeah. My thoughts are like, well, it's great. You want to inject some money in there, but you got mm-hmm. a lot of education. Like Ohio is not really known for their IT fields. Being Mm -hmm. super spectacular, it's not Silicon Valley. It sounds like they're trying to jumpstart the Silicon Valley out there, and that's great. Mm -hmm. But um, the hundred billion dollars they're pumping into this is insane, and it doesn't sound like they have much government assistance at the time. So it's largely all Intel. Intel. Intel funding the whole shebang
1: over the next decade. Yeah, they're starting with twenty billion. Yep. As to this site. And, and, you know, I think Intel, I think, is it Intel that has expanded before, but they were expanding into previously, previous manufacturing sites that already existed. They expanded those sites. This is a brand new site from the ground up. And the promise of things like helping to solve inflation and car prices, it's, uh, that's kind of a high bar.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're really trying to get involved in pretty much everything across the spectrum from Mm. cars to helping out economies to themselves trying to increase their bottom line. But this is a big investment.
1: Right. Yeah. And they are going to spend one hundred million dollars on education in order to kind of attract that. Much-needed skill and talent into the region. They they promise approximately three thousand Intel jobs, seven thousand construction jobs, uh, and that one hundred and forty existing Ohio companies to do business with as Intel as suppliers. The average salary they suspect to have at this facility will be one hundred thirty-five thousand, but they're saying this is going to help with inflation and car prices and the chip shortage. Here's the thing though, is that this plant isn't going to be operational until 2025. Right. So I think this goes a little bit deeper than that. And I think that it's more, the U S wants to have start manufacturing or start getting its own chip manufacturers here in the U S they want more of those. There's already a few, I think, down in Arizona. Yeah, I think there's and, a couple
0: in Arizona, yeah.
1: And um, they want to expand that market. So it's, I think it goes just a little bit deeper than just bringing in jobs and money into, into this area. It's, it, you know, most of our chips right now are supplied by Taiwan. Well, what, what does that say about what might happen <clears throat> to Taiwan in three years? Right from now. So it and, and what our role would be in that. And that's a whole nother conversation.
0: No kidding. <laughs>
1: so this plant is actually going, they haven't actually said what this plant is going to make yet either. It will, uh, the general consensus is that advanced chips that process nodes at two nanometers and below. So it's kind of like a little bit next generational uh type nodes.
0: Yeah, trying to get ahead of the game a little bit.
1: Right. Yeah. So again, is this, I mean, to, 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 me, it's like, yes, this might help the U S kickstart, you know, expanding the chip manufacturing here in Ohio, but I don't, I think they're looking at problems now that they're having and hoping that this plant will solve them. But by the time this plant's up and running, who, who knows where there's going to be probably other problems. And I think Taiwan is, is part of, that it's almost it almost feels like it could be a little bit of a cover up here mm. where they're kind of disguising this plant. while it it will be good as kind of like a little bit of lost faith in what's going to happen to Taiwan. So that's that's a little bit of of my opinion. It, it's kind of like a good news, bad news,
0: strange news. It's, yeah, awesome.
1: yeah, for me anyway. And this article does again. This is from The Verge. They do actually mention this as part of, you know, this chip manufacturing be possibly part of national security concern. Again, if, if there's, a, there's a quote in here that if China attacks Taiwan or if North Korea attacks South Korea, the U.S. would not have access to leading edge semiconductors, which is an issue. This deal it, is mostly about diversifying where leading edge manufacturing is done to protect U.S. interests. Well, and also there's also a little bit of economic competitiveness. I think with that, if the us becomes kind of like a hub where you where companies can make their their uh chips then other companies are going to follow suit so companies like samsung and tsmc are going to build facilities afterwards as well so it's a little bit concerning. It's, it's kind of, like I said, good news, bad news. It's good news in that you want to bring this technology and these jobs to the U.S., but it's a little bit of bad news because where does that put our stance when it comes to countries like South Korea and Taiwan, which we currently rely on? And does this actually even solve the whole chip shortage, inflation, car price, car availability problems that we're having now? I mean, it, we, we are putting microchips in everything too. It's not really just cars, but um, you know, almost all devices, there was even talk about face masks, having microchips in them to monitor, yeah. to monitor your health. So it's, it, it kind of does wonder too, well, how many chips are going to be needed by 2025. And I mean, even if, even if nothing happened in Taiwan, would that, would Taiwan in of itself even be enough to supply all this? I mean, we're going to have, I mean, there's already technology to inject chips into your flesh and monitor you, your presence and everything. So it's yep. it kind of does beg the question too as to like how many chips are we expecting in everything in the world? I, and again, I, th- I think kind of the whole this is going to help with inflation and car prices is a little bit of a cover up. That's kind of like just the the halo around everything trying to shed this in a good light. But I think there's a much deeper issue if if you kind of dig into the article a little bit read between the lines a little bit i think there's more at stake than just car prices chip availability and inflation
0: yeah um my only other thoughts on this are this should have been done probably about 10 years ago to be honest mm-hmm. with you like if you really wanted to invest in economies and bring jobs back this has mm-hmm. been on this has been out there for a few years they could have this should have been done like 10 15 years ago when we would never put ourselves in this position but you know you want to outsource you want to move jobs out and take up taiwan and all the asian countries hey that's great you want to give some economy to the rest of the world but like if you wanted to not rely on everybody and put yourselves in a bad situation when you need chips and they're not available anymore mm-hmm. maybe we should have had our own infrastructure already somewhat established and then just ramp up production as yeah. needed so that that's my cool. two cents is like this is just 10-15 years a little late I mean trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube in the tube but yeah you know we'll, we'll see where this goes but it's it's still a couple of years yeah. down the road well, then,
1: then again 10-15 years ago who would have predicted of the situation that we're having
0: well yeah, yeah. I'm just saying in yeah. general like as an industry to have something like that in America more on like this kind of scale would not have been a bad idea
1: yeah, so there's, you know, uh, you know kind of the captain hindsight yep. moment. Yeah, pretty there. much. Yeah, so we'll we'll kind of see what happens. I mean, again, this this plant isn't supposed to be up and running until 2025 anyway.
0: At the earliest yeah. if things go construction well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we'll um and we'll we'll see what what happens in 2025 if you know we'll see what the situation is like that. I mean, like I said, like who who even thought 3 years ago that we would be where we're at
0: right now
1: so um
0: yep yeah so my comments are hindsight mm -hmm. i know
1: yeah but uh, let us know your your thoughts i i I think i even pointed out that it might have been is this like kind of too late Mm -hmm. a little bit for something like this to even be built but um yeah let us know your thoughts and comments below we're interested in in what you have to say about this this investment into ohio if it's really will solve our issues now or if it's just kind of like a little bit of um pretense as to what may happen in other countries and what what we're trying to safeguard against for for good or for for ill so
0: and in our second article of the episode we are talking about The Robert Pattinson Batman. Thank you, Hollywood Reporter. This has been reported on a few different places or YouTube videos, depending on where you like to get your uh, news about film. But it sounds like the Batman's going to be about three hours long. That's two hours, 47 minutes without end credits. So that means two hours, 55 minutes. That's eight minutes of actual end credits being tacked on to the end of the movie. So we're talking a three-hour movie for... A superhero, the only other movie that superhero that was close to this length was Avengers Endgame.
1: Right. Yeah. So don't order an extra large soda at the beginning of the movie. It's just <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, the argument amongst some of us fans is this is the perfect opportunity to reintroduce intermissions in big event movies like this. You find a natural oh. stopping point between, okay, so if it's like three hours, put an hour and 25 minutes in, give everybody a five to 10 minute break, they can go to the restroom. They can then go to the concession stand, which increases concession sales, Mm -hmm. which helps support your movie theater. So you could grab another box of M&Ms. You could grab a small soda to get you through (laughs) the end of the movie, and it won't kill you. I mean, it's just an idea that some of us are throwing out there. It's not a bad idea. I don't think it'll ever happen. But ultimately, the article is about the three-hour runtime. But what do you think, Amy?
1: Well, so, so when did intermissions kind of go out of style? Because even as I was growing up going to movie theaters as a kid, I don't even remember intermissions.
0: I don't either. But most of the movies around that time were not clocking in nearly three hours. Mm -hmm. If they were, it was like Amadeus, I think was like two and a half hours plus. I vaguely remember having to sit through the whole thing of that. Yeah. And but I don't I'm not sure when intermissions relatively stopped. That might have been more. I don't know, I'd have to look that up. I don't want okay. to misquote and have somebody be like, "Hey, you got it wrong." But yeah.
1: because um it's I'm just trying to to think. I don't even like older movies. I mean, what was the point of an intermission? It was was it more of during live shows or was it during movie theaters?
0: Largely during like say like stage plays, right. shows like yeah. that, but they were incorporated in movies for a time and it did offer concession stand sales and bathroom breaks for people i think they just decided at some point that hey let's shorten up the runtime so we don't have to keep stopping the movies because it also decreases the amount of movies you can run
1: right yeah so
0: instead of like the 12 showings in a day you would have eight right so you you want to increase the tick i think the decision was to go more towards ticket sales and hopefully people would do the concession stand thing mm-hmm. in restroom break, but if you've been to one of these movies and it's like three three and a half hours long, thank you Return of the King, Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, yep. where I had to wait forty five minutes to use the bathroom at the very end. Yeah. But if they had incorporated something like that, I would have really appreciated that. I mean, I can see why. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Okay. So because I do remember as a kid going to a, a couple place at. At theaters, um, and there being intermissions during these plays, yeah. So and that kind of gives the um, actors a, a chance to take a break, right. too, as well as the audience. And like you said, go, bathroom break, concession break, um, having to you know do do anything necessary. I don't ever remember seeing an intermission at at an actual theater, like an yeah. actual movie. But it does kind of beg the question of or do production studios feel safer with these longer time runs because people are watching more movies at home now too. Right. So they can pause the movie when they want to and and use, the use the bathroom, get get food, whatever, to take the dog out, whatever they need to do. So there, yeah, like you said, there is a bit of a conversation going on as to whether if, you know, once movie theaters start opening up again, well, do you, that kind of brings up the point too: are movie tickets ever going to, actual movie tickets not like streaming tickets are those ever actually going to except for maybe some big name movies ever reach a height that they were you know 10 15 years ago sort of when superhero movies started making
0: had business. big
1: business um theaters were booming but now there's streaming services and are streaming services ever going to go away so it kind of does it's a, a little bit of a um this conversation go in a few different directions. If theaters, if there's actual just movies in these, if people go to movies, actual movies, and a movie is clocking in at three hours, do they need to have an intermission in those for the ease of, and the you know the comfort of the audience, or do they? Because streaming is kind of trending with movies and more movies. In my opinion, I see more and more movies just going to streaming rather than in theaters. Is that just kind of something that production studios will say, well, audience is just going to have to deal with it. They're just going to have to go three hours if they want to catch every minute. We're not doing intermissions. Would movie theaters fight back and say, no, we want intermissions? Because like you said, it's for the comfort even. But again would they lose ticket movie sale tickets? Cause they can't run as much run as right. many movies. So it's, it's kind of an interesting point that's being brought up more frequently in that if these movies start again, clocking in at these higher run times, where exactly does that comfort for the, the audience begin? But again, watching movies at home. So it kind of, it kind of just goes around in circles. Yeah. It's like, where, where does this, what do people want?
0: Right. And it also comes down to like the movie studios working with the the theaters themselves. Like if they're going to do the intermission, they should set like a rule of thumb. Like if we provide you a movie at two and a half hours or more, you could absolutely do your intermission. But we also want you to provide the option of a movie without an intermission. So you Mm -hmm. have one particular screen set up for doing the intermissions Mm -hmm. and then one without the intermission so you can have people decide do you want to break in the middle of this long movie or do you want to just power through then people can choose right and then you're not sacrificing too much so there is a middle ground you can come with
1: right and a lot especially with a a big movie like the batman that's going to be in multiple theaters there's going to be it's not you know you have a movie theater that's got you know 20 individual theaters in it it's going to run on
0: half of well maybe yeah. not
1: half but like a quarter of those. You a know? good
0: portion of new yeah. release movies, especially like Batman or like Avengers or Doctor Strange you know multiverse of madness whatever it's called Uh those that's probably going to be a two and a half hour movie too Mm -hmm. and all these movies clocking in at this kind of a runtime like people like you're going to sit there and you're going to be watching people coming in and out of the theater all the time
1: right yeah and that disrupts it too yeah that disrupts the you know your comfort and experience at the movie as well as when you know somebody next to you is Going out to the bathroom three or four times, or going, right. bringing back a snack three or four times—it's yeah. So again, that kind of plays into the decision as well. So it's it's kind of an interesting topic to touch on, especially as these movies are starting to get longer and longer. Now, it felt that you know I remember back when uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy came out, and how people were making comments about these movies are way too long. And then movies kind of shortened up a little bit, but it it seems like. It it kind of ebbs and flows a little bit with these yeah. movie lengths because for a while it felt like movies were getting shorter. They were more the the big name movies were hitting that two hour marker, you know, no more than two and a half hours, and now they're kind of creeping back up to about three hours. Yeah. So again, it's kind of an interesting topic to have. There's a lot of different directions it can go, but yeah, my my thoughts are it's it's just to be, to be honest, like we don't go to the theaters except for like a big movie like this personally me i i'd power through it i just wouldn't drink anything and just watch watch the movie through and through to the end i don't like to get up i don't like to crawl around other people or anything so uh for me that's that's where i stand but uh that's just my thoughts all right so our last article uh it's it's a little bit of a dark topic with it is a little bit about suicide so just kind of fair warning there it comes from new york post so mom sues instagram snapchat companies after 11 year olds suicide an 11 year old girl is is, you know sort of the, the victim in in this her name the writer is ariel zilber uh and the article begins with the mother of an 11 year old girl who killed herself last year allegedly after allegedly developing an extreme addition to Instagram and Snapchat, has sued the two social media companies in federal court. So she filed a lawsuit against the parent companies of both tech platforms in San Francisco federal court on Thursday, claiming that her daughter Selena became addicted to the two apps so much that when she tried to limit her daughter's access to them, she ran away from home. She was taken to therapy and the therapist pretty much concluded that he had, she had never seen a patient as addicted to social media as Selena. So this kind of brings into the question is like, should, should these social media companies le- be legally held accountable for the harm they inflict on vulnerable users? And a uh, spokesperson for SNAP told the Post, while we can't comment on the specifics of active litigation, nothing is more important than us to the well-being of our community and that they work closely with many mental health organizations to provide in-app tools and resources as part of our ongoing work to keep our community safe. So this is kind of, you know, coming into question as to, especially with teenagers, you're in that, that stage of life where you're going through a lot of physical and mental changes It's different for every generation now. I think when we were growing up, we had magazines and there was TV, but it wasn't as constant as something like having a phone in your hand and looking at, and it's something as vast too. I mean, Instagram and Snapchat are huge platforms. I mean, in a magazine, you have one magazine, right? With the pictures in it and the lifestyles of it. It's something like... Instagram, it's, it's instant. It's right there. There's multiple outlets of seeing all of this. I mean, you, you are not, not necessarily outlets, but different users. I mean, there's so many, it's, it's, it's much more than a magazine. And this isn't kind of the first time where something like this has happened in 2017, a 14 year old British girl, Molly Russell died by suicide after going on Instagram and being pushed into a rabbit hole of depressive contents. So it's kind of goes into a little bit more than just, you know, seeing other people on Instagram and seeing their lifestyles and seeing their, what they have and what you don't. And there is that sort of, you see that and you almost instantly compare yourself. To something like that. I think we've all experienced that, whether you're a teenager or an adult, because that's kind of the platform that will get the most views. I mean, and there is a little bit of an argument where if on Instagram, there's the saying that, well, this is only a moment in a person's life. You know, this person doesn't constantly live like this. But on the other hand, that's also what they're posting all the time. I think there was a recent article in what was her name, one of the supermodels, I think it was one of the, not Gigi Hadid, I think her sister, is it Bella Bella Hadid? I I think like she recently posted about like her depression issues and her anxiety issues. And she made that, you know, live on Instagram too. So it's not just all about the glamorous lifestyle. They say that that's just a moment in a person's life and that there's photo editing and ways to manipulate the the pictures and and what's going on but at the same time that's what's being glorified on these platforms is that lifestyle nobody wants to see you know maybe uh something like your commute every day right that's kind of like your your boring everyday event they want to see you know the Extravagant cake that you made, your flower arrangements—they want to see how much iron you're pumping, things like that—and it does, you know, start that kind of comparison lifestyle. And while it can be kind of an influence and an inspiration to be creative and everything, at what point does that inspiration kind of become more depressing? And you know, it's and it's uh, like the article kind of hinted to—it's not just that comparison of you being compared to somebody who may be a bit more glamorous of a lifestyle. It's also, there's a lot of depressing content too. And you can get into that part of it too. And it just makes you sadder and sadder every day when you're just bombarded with all this sad news and sad content. So it, it is just kind of something we wanted to, to highlight a little bit because this is, this is kind of one of the beginnings of an allegation as to holding these media companies responsible For what they're putting out, and they say that they have safeguards in place. I really don't think they do, to be honest. I think that's just a feel-good comment that they're making. So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts as to whether or not these platforms should be held responsible, and they if they should do more, or if there is if there is even anything they can do more, because the more users that they gain, these platforms, the more money they make.
0: I got a couple of thoughts. the The first thought I have is. You're a parent. You don't know what your kid's doing. I mean, 11 years old, they have a cell phone and you have like no control or access over that. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you have any parent restrictions on your phone or do you not like watch how much time your your kids are on the phone? Well, it's it said
1: here in this particular case that she tried to take the phone away or limit the access. Okay. She wound up running away. Oh. So there, oh, there yeah. was attempts. I mean, she yeah. this um, this mother did try. To limit this addiction, but again, it this may have. Do you think this is this is something that should be classified as an addiction too? I mean, you get addicted to, you know, big ones are like alcohol and cigarettes. You can, but you can get addicted to other outlets too. I believe wasn't the there a rehab addict or something? What was her name? There was a a woman once on one of the DIY networks who hosted a rehab show, and she was. Do you remember that now? She was, I think medical, like almost medically diagnosed as being addicted to rehab, to rehabilitating things, to mm. like going into places and just fixing them up. So you can get addicted to more than just your, your drugs and your psychotics, your um, psychotic inducing drugs and alcohol is something like this, just the beginning of a generation that, you know, could develop this type of addiction. And what does that say about what platforms need to be held responsible in what ways
0: well that was my other thought is like instagram and snapchat they should have some like some sort of level restriction on your age i mean yeah you can lie when you register about your age Mm -hmm. but if you're if your parents are involved and they're helping you get set up you know and they make sure that you are properly tagged as your age yeah you know maybe that is something that could help but that's that's not going to stop anything because the cyber bullying is crazy out yes, there that's the other thing there's too. the everything else is just crazy i've seen it on twitter i've seen it on facebook i've seen it all over these places it's not just instagram or snapchat it's right. across the board so this is a yeah. this is a bigger problem
1: i mean just share your thoughts and comments below as to whether this is kind of the start of what could be the next generation's main addiction. And if, is this something that these big tech platforms need to be held more responsible, uh, you know, putting up more safeguards, or is this something that, you know, exclusively the parents need to kind of rein in for their kids? Personally, I, I think that the platform should have more safeguards in it, but at yeah. the same time, how many, how many four or five, six year olds do we see on phones? without parents looking over their shoulders i mean they're just doing whatever so it's
0: candy crush or whatever yeah yeah,
1: but even still how could they could also always close that app and find something else too so it's so yeah again let us know what what your thoughts are with a comment below on to what you think big platforms big tech platforms should do or what parents should do if there's a middle ground right all right and i think that just about wraps up today's episode again we are the underheard word. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media platform. Be sure to subscribe to our channel. And if wherever you listen to podcasts, we're very likely available there. So
0: yes, we are.
1: All right. Have a good day, everyone.